0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. How are you guys? I'm doing really good. This week is a good week. So we just finished third grade in our homeschool, Parker and I. So we are officially on summer break and I am so excited. I don't know about you guys, but that means more time in the garden, more time in the kitchen, more time doing all the things that I love to do. So I'm really excited about having a break from school. So, today I thought that we would shift gears just a little bit and talk about some homesteady things. And first and foremost, we are going to have a little chat about homestead animals. My name is Tina and I am the creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Blessed and Beautiful Homestead. Welcome to my podcast. I love to share from scratch recipes, homeschool life inspiration, our homesteading journey, and just all things life with you. This is a space where we are going to get down and dirty, raw and unfiltered about motherhood, marriage, our culture, and our spiritual pursuit as believers. Thank you for joining me today. I am so glad you're here, and my hope is that I can be a blessing to you. So if you are listening to this podcast, you know that we have a small one-acre homestead As of right now, we just sold our 18-acre farm about a year and a half ago. We decided to downsize a bit until Joe retires here in about a year and a half, and then we are going to be moving to our forever homestead and really buckling down, digging our heels in, and doing the full-on homestead thing again. Um, So where we're at now, we are still homesteading because I am a firm believer that you can homestead anywhere you are, whether you've got a big farm with lots of land, maybe a small one-acre property like we have, or maybe even an apartment with a balcony. You guys can do some container gardening. You can outsource for some local homegrown beef from local farmers, and there's a lot of ways that you can uh, quote-unquote homestead and try to you know, provide a healthier from scratch homegrown meal for your family table. So I think that on a homestead, having animals is um, you know, something that every homesteader has. And usually they say the gateway drug to animals on the homestead are chickens. And I would have to agree. So our very first homestead animal that we ever had was chickens and um, I grew up with chickens. My mom always had chickens and a rooster for fresh eggs. And I've shared some of those funny stories with you guys um, because we always had a little backyard farm no matter where we lived, even if we were in the city. So my mom was the epitome of, I'm going to homestead wherever I live. <laughs> she, she didn't care. It didn't matter where she was, she would have a little mini farm in the backyard so my love for chickens started out very young and when joe and i decided to kind of go down this homestead road For our family, the first thing that we got was chickens. You know, there's lots of ways you can go about it. You can go to Tractor Supply or your local farm store and you can purchase your chicks from them. You can go online to some of the hatcheries and order chicks that way. Um, You can also do like chicken swap Saturdays. A lot of the tractor supplies and farms have, you know, local farms have things like that. Um, And you can also just go on Craigslist. And honestly, you guys, like our main flock, uh, I think that's where we got the bulk of them. You can find families that got chickens and then decided, "Whoa, well, um, this isn't for me, or they're moving and they don't want to take them. Um, or a lot of times they end up with more than they need, so they need to offload some of them. And you can get them pretty cheap on uh, Craigslist. So the bulk of our main flock, I would say, came from Craigslist, actually. Um, we just drove around and got birds and together our flock and of course we had a rooster we've had many roosters along the way because as you guys know from some of my YouTube videos we incubate and hatch a lot of our own eggs here on the homestead we've got a couple broody hens and it is inevitable that there is a percentage of those that hatch that will be come that are going to be roosters so the average standard is that you want one rooster to about every 8 to 12 hens And um, we just didn't, we don't have a need for all those roosters on the property. And you can actually run into issues with too many roosters um, where you've got hens that are their favorites, if you know what I mean. And they will just, those hens will just be um, tortured all day by the multiple roosters that are trying to mate them and their talons can really cause some damage to the back of the chickens so i prefer to just have one rooster for my flock Um, if the flock starts to get a little too big then we might have two roosters um, as long as they get along because sometimes the roosters don't get along. So, but my main goal for having chickens obviously was the fresh eggs. I think that fresh eggs on the homestead is a staple, right? I mean, that's just how can you have a homestead without fresh eggs? <laughs> so, we love the fresh eggs, we are an egg eating family. Um, You guys probably seen some of my YouTube videos. I do pickled eggs and all kinds of fun recipes with the eggs. So we definitely have more fresh eggs than we need. Um, And we do sell some to our neighbors and give some away to friends and family as well at times. But fresh eggs are a must on our homestead. So when I was growing up, my mom always had a small coop um, in the backyard for fresh eggs. And I remember my little brothers, I have two little brothers and they thought they were like legit cowboys. I don't know where they got them from, but somewhere along the way, they, um, acquired these cowboy hats with these little leather vests and cowboy boots. And they would run around the property all day, all night in that attire and would refuse to take it off. And, I remember one time we heard the chickens just going crazy and my mom's like, what's going on out there? And we go outside and we run to the chicken coop and what do you know, my brothers are out there plucking the feathers out of these chickens to have feathers to put in their cowboy hats. And I'm not just talking the little feathers, I'm talking like the butt feathers and Um, and the big wing feathers, anybody that has chickens, you know what I'm talking about. Those are, um, much larger feathers and they were plucking them out just so they had a variety of feathers to wear in their cowboy hats. So they were so funny. They, they thought they were cowboys and, um, but yeah, chickens are, they're super fun. I think that chickens are very easy to maintain. So I don't, you know, if you have chickens, um, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have chickens, but you're thinking about getting chickens or you want chickens someday, I just want to let you know that from my perspective, chickens are super easy to keep. Um, You need a coop and you need to make sure they've got some food and some fresh water and maybe a nesting box or two for them to lay their eggs in. And you guys, that's it. So um, we have a coop that we uh leave open and we don't have too much of a problem with predators here on this new property. We had major predators at the farm that we just sold. Um fox and hawks and all kinds of things that were eating our chickens. But here we haven't had too much of an issue. We've had a few hawks um but other than that we've been all right. So we leave the coop open and the chickens go in the coop at night about dusk when the sun starts to go down. They go in for the evening on their own and get up on their perches, and then in the morning they come out at their leisure and they free range in our on our property all day. So you can keep your chickens locked up in a coop. You know, a lot of people do that. I personally prefer to let them free range Um, Even if you have issues with predators, if you want to do like a chicken run off of your coop, that's fully enclosed with chicken wire to protect them from the predators, something like that. Uh, I just think that the chicken's natural diet is not um, this man-made mixture of grain that we pick up from tractor supply. Now, granted, we supplement their diet with that, but our chickens, honestly, you guys, for the most part, don't even prefer to eat the chicken feed that we get from the store. They pick at it here and there, but they're out free ranging on the property all day, eating bugs, eating flowers, eating grass, and that's their natural diet. That's the best diet for them, and that's going to make them produce the best eggs for your family. You can tell a chicken that is raised on grain versus a chicken that is raised on pasture, and the yolks of those eggs are so dark yellow, almost to the point where they're orange, and they're just so much more flavorful. Um, There's no comparison. So I think the birds are happier uh, with that natural diet, and they're funny, you know, it's instinctive. They run around and chase bugs all day long, and um, they're happy that way. So we do supplement with our grain, but we free range them all day long as well. So for your chicken coop, you can either have a stationary coop that stays, you know, stationary. (laughs) I guess I didn't really need to explain that to you guys. Um, But if you have a stationary coop, which is actually what we have right now, you will have to clean that chicken coop out every so often because it'll get nasty. Versus if you have a chicken tractor type coop, Um, which is a mobile chicken coop that you can move around the yard, then you don't have to clean the coop out because they just go to the bathroom on the grass and then you move the coop to a new spot every couple of days. And it helps to fertilize your grass too, so it's kind of a win-win. I would, in our forever homestead, I would like to have some type of movable chicken tractor type coop because it's just you know, you guys on the homestead, we're busy. Like there is a constant to do list that just never ever ends. And so if you can alleviate something from that list, um, it's like, why wouldn't you? Right. So cleaning out the chicken coop is something that we have to do. We probably do it about once every two weeks. And, um, you know, it's just hot, it's stinky, it's messy. Uh, and if I didn't have to deal with that, I would much prefer to not have to deal with it. So, But you can do either or. And then as far as, you know, their nesting boxes, I'll tell you guys, it's so funny because we have done multiple nesting boxes in the coop. Um, And when I say multiple, I mean like four, five, six, seven nesting boxes. And those chickens will choose the same two nesting boxes to lay their eggs in. So we've just given up on the whole trying to have like a nesting box for each hen because they don't need it, nor do they care. Uh, in fact, they're gonna lay in their egg. They're gonna lay their eggs where there are already eggs in the box most of the time, um, which is why if you're having issues with your hens not laying eggs in the box, maybe they're laying them out in the yard and hiding them somewhere. You can actually go to like Tractor Supply and you can get fake ceramic eggs to put in the nesting boxes, and that tricks the chickens and they think that oh, that's where I'm supposed to lay the egg. And it actually does work. We've done that in the past. So they just prefer to lay eggs where there's already eggs. So um, don't worry about a bunch of nesting boxes because they really don't need it. They wait their turn too. It's funny. They will line up and wait for the other hens to get done and then the next one will go in and lay her egg, hop on out, and then the next one, and so on and so on. They crack me up. We definitely, you know love having our chickens we've always had them since we started our homestead and we always will Uh, they're very easy to tend to like I said just some good food for a supplement fresh water always and um, some a safe place for them to roost at night you know they're not they're not as capable of defending themselves against predators as say a sheep or a pig so I would definitely recommend having somewhere safe to put them in the evenings when the predators like to come out so let's talk a little bit about meat birds since we're on the topic of chickens so Again, if you guys watch any of my YouTube videos, you know that we raise a batch of meat birds every year to stock our freezer full of fresh, homegrown chicken. And we purchase our meat birds online from a hatchery. And meat birds only have to grow for about eight to 10 weeks, and then they're ready to be slaughtered and butchered up for the freezer. So we grow them in our chicken tractor, which makes it super simple because if you've never raised meat birds, they go to the bathroom a lot And it is really disgusting. So having the chicken tractor, as we talked about earlier, just makes it so much easier. You can move it around the yard. And the chickens are getting the grass and the bugs and the flowers, which again is their natural diet. And we're eating what those animals eat, right? So I want them to have the best diet so that they have the best health because that is the food that eventually is gonna be on my kitchen table going into my family's bodies. So I love having the meat birds in the chicken tractor. We raise them for about eight to 10 weeks and then we slaughter and butcher them. We just have like a a butcher fest and have a full day of um, slaughtering and butchering those chickens and packaging them for the freezer. We just did a batch of, I think, 30 meat birds. So we've got the whole freezer stocked with fresh chicken. And from that, I like to save the chicken feet from all the chickens to go in my chicken stock. And um, maybe we could talk about chicken stock on another episode, just the health benefits of it, how to make it, why homegrown, homemade chicken stock should be a staple in your pantry. Because you guys, it is, it is nothing like the store-bought chicken stock um, or broth, you know, whatever you want to call it. So I save all the chicken feet. We always save all of our chicken carcasses um, when we cook up a whole bird, and then I use those bones to make homemade bone stock, and it's just so good for your immune system. And it's like every recipe when you're making soup or whatever, it calls for chicken stock, right, or chicken broth, and there's just nothing like it when you've got a whole shelf of homemade canned chicken stock that you made in your kitchen, um, just that golden goodness. So I would recommend keeping your bones and keeping your feet. Something else that we have raised on our homestead are cows. So you can have cows for a couple different purposes. You've got dairy cows, you've got beef cows. Um, We've kind of done both. And um, we actually raised Jersey cows. So I got a Jersey for dairy, um, for fresh milk, and I just loved my Gracie girl. When we sold the big farm, we did sell Gracie um, and when we downsized to the one acre, obviously, because there wasn't enough room here for her um, and her calf that she would have every year. So we went ahead and sold her, but at my forever homestead, I am going to have another dairy cow for sure. Um, That was definitely a learning curve for me. I, You guys, when I want something, I just go get it. Um, Maybe that's a um, flaw of mine, or maybe that is an an advantage that I have. I don't know, because I'm not really afraid of too many things. When I want something, I just go and do it, and I figure it out later. Um, So when I decided I wanted the cow, we just went and bought the cow. And I bought her off of Craigslist. Yep, me and Craigslist, were homies. And um, it was really cool because she came from another homesteader that was a really sweet Mennonite family. And he had about four cows that he would milk every day. And we got Gracie. And um, she, her name was Princess. And once I got her home... I realized why he named her Princess because she acted like a princess. So um, it's funny because then I was like, oh, now I see why he was selling her. So Gracie was um, a very pissy cow. She was a princess. She didn't want to be milked and she was very kicky and very shifty in the milk stand. And when I got her, you guys, I didn't know the first thing about milking a cow. Are you kidding me? I just wanted it. I liked the idea of having my own cow. I liked the idea of having the fresh milk. It was something that I wanted to learn and I was gonna do it even though I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Now, when I was a kid, my mom bought a goat. We had a Nubian goat that we milked every day because my brother was allergic to cow's milk. So we went and bought a Nubian and we would milk our goat, Penny, every day. Me and my brothers would. So that was the extent of my milking experience. Well, let me tell you, there's a big difference between milking a cow and milking a goat. There's, you know... A lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences, especially when you've got a cow that, you know, has a little bit of an attitude. So when I tell you guys I almost gave up on Gracie, I mean to tell you I almost gave up on Gracie. Me and Joe both had gotten kicked by her many times. She knocked over many milk buckets. Um, She was just like, I'm going to wear the pants and I'm going to do this if I feel like it. And if I don't feel like it, we're not doing this today. And I was looking through YouTube, I was desperately searching for a way to keep her from shifting and being kicky while being milked. Because you guys, this is a thousand pound animal and your, your shoulder and head is under the flank of that animal milking them. So it's, it's really a scary thing when you've got a kicky animal and you know, the whole don't show them fear, let them know who's boss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Say that when you're under a thousand pound cow. (laughs) But I was desperately searching YouTube for a way to get her to stop being kicky. And I came across this lady, an older lady that I think she was living in like Ireland or something. And she milked her cow and she was talking about how her cow was this kicky, pissy cow and she had to break her of it. Do you guys know what she did to break her cow of kicking her? She would tie one of the cow's legs to the stanchion post while she milked her. And I saw this little old lady wrap this lead around the cow's ankle, tie it to the post and then milk the cow. I thought, oh man, there's no way I can get a lead around Gracie's ankle. Like there's no way she's not having it. And this little old lady was like, you know, do it. They're not going to like it at first, but they'll, they'll get used to it. So I went out there and I had a little talk with Gracie and I said, Gracie look, we're going to do this whether you like it or not. So we can either have fun and do this together every day or we can go at it and we can fight every day, but I'm going to milk you. And we had a little talk. So all I used at the time, I had a dog leash actually. And you know the dog leash has the hoop in the end of it and then the latch on the other end. And I swung that lead around Gracie's ankle, put it through the loop in the dog leash and I cinched it tight Not too tight, of course, it didn't hurt her. And then I used that lead and I pulled her leg back to the stanchion post so that I could tie her off. Now, if you guys could have been a fly on the wall, let me tell you, because this was not a pretty sight, okay? First of all, I was a little scared. It was the first time I had ever done this. Gracie was not happy. And she was kicking and just going crazy in the milk stand. And I held on to that lead for dear life, you guys. And I finally cinched it down to the stanchion post and I got her tied off. I milked her out and there was nothing she could do about it. She tried to shift here and there. She tried to kick and then she realized she couldn't kick. And she finally calmed down and started eating her hay. So every day after that, I went out there and I would tie Gracie's leg back. And you guys, before you know it, she became accustomed to that and she actually would put her ankle back for me to put the lead around it. I'm not kidding you. (laughs) I felt so accomplished. Like I was so proud of myself that I didn't give up. I didn't let her win. And whether it was um, ideal or not, I had found something that worked for me and Gracie and she didn't even mind it. She would put her little ankle back And I would tie her back and um, not only that, it would keep her legs out of the way uh, while I was milking her. So it worked out really great. And before you know it, you'll be able to take that lead off and the cow will just stand there because now they've been trained that they need to just, you know, be calm and sit there and eat their hay until they're done getting milked or their grain or whatever you give them. So, um, you know, cows have to get pregnant in order to produce milk. Uh, eventually, just like humans, if they don't have more babies or have anything nursing on them, they would eventually dry up. So what we do is we would get our cow, we'd get Gracie pregnant uh, every year. And um, about two months before she would calf, we would dry her off, which means we would stop milking her to give her a break uh, and get her ready to have that next calf. And um, the idea was that we would raise that calf up Into butchering age, and then we would have fresh beef for the farm as well. So we did do that, and there are a lot of opinions on what kind of cow you should have for dairy, what kind of cow you should have for beef. Um, And I just, you know, want to tell you guys that it really just depends on your preference. We had a Jersey for milk, and we ate her calf, and um, Jersey beef was just fine. We never had any issue with it being too tough or too anything. It was absolutely delicious. You know, with a dairy animal, the idea is that you've got to milk them every day. And a lot of farmers actually milk their cows twice a day in the morning and then in the afternoon or evening. And you guys, I didn't have time for that. I, with, with working my business, homeschooling Parker, just everything else, I did not have time to go out and milk this cow twice a day because it's a good 20 to 30 minute um, ordeal every time because you've got to get all the stuff ready. You've got to get out there and get her in the stanchion and put her hay in there and just everything that comes with it. You know, it's, it's a chunk of time. And I started reading some blogs from some other homesteaders that were talking about once a day milking and calf sharing. And that's what we did with Gracie. So, it's supply on demand, the milk is supply on demand. So the more you milk them, the more the cow's body is gonna tell them, hey, we need to produce more milk and then you're gonna have to continue milking them that much, right? But if you don't milk them as much, their their, their supply will decrease. So we slowly got Gracie into this routine of a once a day milking and it just worked out great for us. And the fantastic thing about calf sharing And calf sharing, for those that you don't know, is just a term used for when you are sharing the milk with that calf, right? So what we would do is we would separate Gracie from her calf in the evening before we went to bed, around, let's say, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And then they would be separated all night long. And then in the morning, I would go out and I would milk Gracie. And after I was done milking her, I would then let the calf out to reunite with Mama, and they would be together all day. So they typically don't eat much during the night anyway. Um, so it's not like you know the calf is starving all night long. And we always make it a point to keep them close together. So we would have a shelter with a divider in the center, um, which would just be like cattle fencing or something. So they could still see each other, smell each other, even lay next to each other and sleep together. The calf just couldn't get to that udder and drink all the milk. And that would allow me a chance to get in there in the morning and get what we needed for the family. And then you put them back together again. You guys, calf sharing changed my life um, when it comes to having a dairy cow. When I realized that I, not only did I not have to milk twice a day because the calf was helping me out, right? Drinking that milk. I started realizing I don't even have to milk every day if I don't want to. So it's always good, especially with the dairy animal, to have a routine that the animal can count on. But at the same time, They're resilient, and if you get a good dairy animal that likes getting up in the milk stand and knows what they're doing, then it's not an issue. So I got to the point where I would go out and milk Gracie three or four times a week, and that made it to where I was only milking out what we needed for our family, and I wasn't left with like two fridges full of milk that we couldn't possibly use fast enough. So if you're gonna get a dairy animal, um, I just wanna encourage you that it doesn't have to be this cumbersome, Tedious task that some people like to make it out to be. You know, just find a routine that works great for you and your dairy animal. And I would definitely recommend calf sharing because it allows you to not have the burden of milking every day if you don't want to. You know, life happens. What happens if you get sick? You know, a couple years ago, I got a massive sinus infection and I was laid up in bed for three days, felt like I got ran over by a semi truck. And you guys, there was no way I could go out and milk Gracie. I literally physically couldn't get out of bed to go do it. And Joe had to go out and milk her every day for me. Um, But if I was calf sharing, that wouldn't be an issue. I would just leave the calf in with Gracie and not separate them at night. And that way the calf would be drinking her milk and she wouldn't get stopped up and get mastitis. So calf sharing changed my life. I will never look at having a dairy animal um, the way that I used to again, because it, it doesn't have to be Um, this terrible task it can actually be really enjoyable and something that works out great for your homestead now my goal when we retire here soon in a couple of years and we move to our forever homestead is to have um, enough pasture that we can have cows again I want to raise my own beef cows I want to have a dairy cow again for sure um and you know it is it is a little bit more difficult if you don't have any grazing pasture for the cows because cows eat a lot and that was one issue that we had even on the farm because we had 18 acres but only three of it was clear the rest of it was all forest and there was no pasture grass so that really left most of the time that left us to go and source hay from other areas and alfalfa for the cows and it can get expensive and um if you don't have a good steady source of hay that you can that you can rely on it can be cumbersome trying to find that hay for your cows and especially in the winter time Um, you've got to be stocked up on hay because there isn't going to be any pasture grass for them to eat. So I definitely want to have enough pasture that we can bale our own hay and um, put that up for the winter and everything and not have to worry about sourcing hay from somewhere else. You know, you can have a a bull on your property if you want to be able to um, breed the cows every year. Uh, Like I said, with that dairy animal, she's got to have that baby on a continuous schedule in order to keep producing milk so every year you've got to get her pregnant you can either have a bull or you can do artificial insemination and we've done both Um, artificial insemination you just have a farm vet that comes out and inseminates the cow and we we were successful at that and then we also had a bull on the property um, that was successful at getting our cow pregnant if i had to say which one do i prefer because our property was as small as it was Having a bull was a little difficult because he was a handful and, um, you know, breaking the fencing all the time and he had big horns and just handling him if Joe was working and um, I had to handle him on my own. That, that got to be difficult at times. So artificial insemination is a great option for the small homestead where maybe you don't have the time, resources, or space to have a bull on the property, but. Either one works great and we've done both and artificial insemination is actually not that complicated or expensive, at least not in our experience. Um, you can go online to reputable companies and purchase your uh, bull semen from that company and then you have that shipped to the vet that you use and they keep it safely stored in the freezer and um, they come and administer that to the cow when it's time. So you know, it's it's successful, it works. You know, if you do artificial insemination, that's one less cow that you have to feed if you don't have a bull on the property. And um, I think I remember it running us maybe 100 to $115 to inseminate the cow. And again, this is our experience and this is in our area, knowing that that's different everywhere you go. So as you guys know, if you watch my YouTube videos, we also have sheep. We raise Katahdin sheep. We just started our flock not too long ago. and the, the purpose of them is twofold. So we obviously don't have cows here on the homestead now because we only have one acre and um, sheep are a lot smaller. They eat a lot less. They're a lot easier to handle in such a small space. So we decided to get sheep for milk and also for meat. So we have Katahdin sheep and there are certain breeds that are specifically milk breeds and then breeds that are not milk breeds. But um, I will tell you, Katahdin sheep aren't typically, you wouldn't typically call a Katahdin sheep a milk sheep or a milk breed, but we milk our uh, Delilah girl and there's no issue with it. And you guys, the milk is phenomenal. It is absolutely amazing. And if I had to to choose, I would actually say that I prefer sheep milk over the cow's milk. Um, the sheep milk is much thicker it's sweeter, it has a higher fat content, so if you're making cheeses, you're going to get a lot more of the product versus a ton of whey. Um, When I would make cheese with Gracie's milk or cow, I would have, I could use, you know, three, four gallons of milk and just get a ball or two of mozzarella and the whole rest of the pot would be liquid whey versus if you're making cheese with sheep milk it has such a higher fat content that you're going to get more of the cheese product and less whey so um i do prefer the taste and the texture of the sheep milk uh it it does not in my opinion have any grassy or earthy flavor um, i remember having the goat's milk as a kid and i do remember it having kind of a gamey um grassy earthy flavor to it now I don't know if my taste buds have changed since I've gotten older, right? Because your taste buds do change. But I just remember as a kid, not really caring for the goat's milk. So when we got Delilah and uh, we started milking her, I was a little afraid of that, um, that it was gonna have that earthy flavor to it. And I was pleasantly surprised that it had absolutely no aftertaste to it at all. So the thing is though, you know, between dairy cows and dairy sheep um, for your homestead, you're gonna put about the same energy and time into milking the cow as you would put into milking the sheep. But the return is going to be a lot less when you're milking a sheep. So I can milk Delilah and I might get a pint uh, to a quart of milk from her out of a milking versus when I would milk my cow, I was getting a gallon and a half to two gallons of milk from her. When it comes to quantity, if you have a small family and a small homestead, having a dairy sheep might be better for you. Having a cow is probably a lot better for a larger family that drinks a lot of milk, um, unless you're going to calf share, right? So um, where you won't have to milk her as much because you don't need as much milk. So it was definitely interesting because the utter... um, And the teats on a cow versus a sheep are much different, right? So when I would milk Gracie, she's got the big long teats that my whole hand would fit around when I was milking her versus with my Katahdin sheep, Delilah, um, she's not a quote unquote milk breed. So there are some sheep that have the big teats, but the Katahdin breed does not have big teats. So her teats are maybe, oh my goodness, maybe two inches long. Um, versus my cow that was, what, four inches long, five inches long. So big difference. You're no longer milking with your whole hand. You're milking with three fingers. (laughs) So uh, you really got to get your exercise on and and build up those muscles. So, But right now on the small homestead that we have, we've got the sheep for the milk, and then also we are going to be raising up the lambs for meat because we love lamb. Now, the two lambs that Delilah just had this spring we are keeping them for milkers. Um, they're both females, so we are going to keep both of them for milkers. And then the next set of lambs are going to be raised up for butcher. So we personally have never done rabbits. Um, my brother, uh, who also is a homesteader, does raises rabbits, slaughters, and butchers them. And I, I will tell you guys, my mom used to raise rabbits and slaughter them. And the rabbit meat is phenomenal. I mean, I would I would even venture to say that it's better than chicken. It is so good. It's just a lean delicious meat. So raising rabbits is definitely something that we would potentially like to get into at our forever homestead. Now I remember my mom, oh my goodness, I told you guys, she had a farm no matter where we lived, right? A little backyard farm. And I remember when I was about 11 years old, we lived in the city of Bakersfield, California, okay? And we lived in a subdivision. We did not live out in the country, but it didn't matter. Uh, My mom was raising chickens and rabbits in the backyard. And I remember coming home from school one day and I guess it was slaughter day for the rabbits. And my mom had slaughtered these rabbits and had them hanging from the clothesline to drain all the blood out. And you guys, all the neighbor kids were like peeking up over the fence, watching my mom butcher these rabbits. And I came home from school and I was just mortified. I was like, mom, do you have to do that right here where everybody can see? I was so embarrassed, right? So I remember that vividly um, from when I was a kid, but I also remember that that meat was absolutely delicious and my brother swears by it. And I do know um, from having them as a kid that again, rabbits are also very easy to raise. You've got to have a good rabbit hutch um, to keep them from predators, food, and water. And that's it. And by the way, just so you know, their manure is an excellent source of fertilizer for your garden. It is very good for your garden. So um, rabbits are great, and maybe in the future, here soon, we will venture into that. Now let's just chat for a few minutes about pigs. So Pigs, you guys, I love pigs. In fact, I'm even trying to work on Joe and talk him into getting a feeder pig or two for the homestead. <laughs> I'm slowly working on him. Um, you know how it is, ladies, right? We gotta just give those little gentle nudges, like, hey, what do you think about this? And uh, just stay on it. And um, most of the time they come around. But pigs, in my opinion, we we raise them at the farm and they're super easy to raise, Um, They don't require much. You need to have good fencing, some type of shelter so they can get out of the weather and the elements, especially when they have their piglets. They've got to be kept warm. Um, But food and water. And the great thing about pigs, you guys, is all of your kitchen scraps can go to the pigs. So I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely hate throwing anything away. Um, So if I make a huge batch of applesauce, All those peels, all the apple cores, everything. If you don't have a compost bin, you're throwing it in the garbage, right? Well, everything like that, you can just throw out to the pigs and they are not picky. They eat anything, you know, leftovers in the fridge that you don't want. Um, I mean, you name it, the pigs will eat it. So I just loved being able to keep a pig bucket in the kitchen and everything we threw out, we would just put in that pig bucket. You know, when dinner's over, scrape your plates in the pig bucket and take it out to the pigs and they love it. So I will tell you guys, if you're going to get breeder pigs, um, just keep in mind that they do tend to have a lot of piglets. So versus a cow that typically only has one calf, sometimes two, um, or sheep where they typically have one, sometimes two lambs. You know, the pigs, they can have anywhere from, you know, I'll say anywhere up to 10 to 15 piglets. I mean, that's been our experience. There may be even be more. So we had a piglet, a pig named Charlotte, and when she had her piglet, she had five. And then we had another pig that we called Mama Pig. And when she had her baby, she had 12 piglets, you guys. So just keep that in mind as far as space, um, because you never know how many piglets they're gonna have and they, they're gonna get big, you know, whether you're gonna raise them up and sell them or you're gonna raise them up for meat, they're gonna get big, so you're gonna need a space to contain them. And of course, there's lots of different breeds of pigs. When we were raising pigs on the farm, we were raising American Guinea hogs. So American Guinea hogs are, um, you know, shorter, smaller, black pigs that are kind of like the perfect small homestead pig. They don't get very big, they don't require a lot of space, they are um, have a good temperament to them, But uh, I think if we do pigs again, I'm actually looking at doing the Berkshire breed, and one of the reasons is with the American Guinea Hogs, while they were great, um, the cuts of meat just weren't as big. You know, with the American Guinea Hog, you would get a pork chop, but it was a small pork chop versus one of the larger breeds of pigs where you're gonna get that nice, big, thick pork chop that we're used to seeing. And then the same thing with the slabs of bacon, right? Um, Because that's something that we get really excited about in this house is the bacon, you guys. So I'm thinking about trying a new breed that we've never done before. Um, But I am working on Joe. So I will keep you guys posted if I'm successful at talking him into a couple feeder pigs. (laughs) So we've also had ducks on the property. And... um, Really, ducks are great. So we have uh we have slaughtered them and we've eaten them. Duck is delicious, especially if it's cooked right with a good glass of wine on the side. Um and of course, if you've got female ducks and they're going to lay an egg every day and you guys may know that duck eggs are um high quality for baking. Now, me personally, I can only eat duck eggs if they're baked in something or if they are fried like you would fry an egg for breakfast. I'm a big texture person and I have done up a whole skillet of scrambled duck eggs before and I just didn't like it. They're very fatty and jiggly jello-y and I'm a texture person and that just didn't work for me and I ended up giving the whole pan of eggs to the pigs. So we're not big duck egg people. Now I will use them all day long in baking. I'm all about that. Now, Joe does not care for having ducks on the property. So I'm going to tell you guys why. And I would say that if you're going to have ducks, it might be good to have them in an area where you don't really care about the terrain of the property because they like to burrow down into the dirt with their beaks and try to find food and everything. So they leave these big gaping holes all over the yard. Now, Again, this is my experience, so maybe somebody out there is like, oh, our ducks don't do that. Well, every time we've owned ducks and we've owned many different breeds, um, we've always had this issue. And Joe is a stickler for um, the property, and we just would have these big gaping holes in the landscape from the ducks. And um, so as of right now, we don't have ducks on the homestead. We did up until a couple months ago, and we actually sold them to a really sweet couple that wanted them for pets. So. The other thing about ducks is sometimes the males would want to rape the chickens. So that is a big issue. Um, Some people laugh about it and think it's funny, but it's actually, it is not good for your flock of chickens. So I'm just going to get a little uh, down and dirty for those of you that don't know. Um, If you Google a duck's penis, okay, that thing is like something from outer space. I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, God, what were you thinking? Um, It is this long, huge corkscrew looking thing. Now that fits great in a female duck. I mean, they are made to um, accommodate that, but a chicken, a hen is not um, made to accommodate that size. And it can actually cause great damage to your hens and it can end up killing them. So we have had some issues with some of our male ducks that would you know, try to mate with our chickens and um, it it would just torture them because the ducks are usually bigger than the hens and um, it can cause some major issues with the back end of the chicken and cause them to die. So we just really don't have a purpose as of right now for having ducks on the property. I really only got them because I like to look at them and watch them. If you have a pond or a water source, they're just so funny. They get so excited when they get in the water and they flap around and they're just lovely. So if you have a pond um, in an area to have them where you could maybe keep them separate from your chickens, then I would say go for it. Now. Some people don't have issues with the ducks mating with the chickens, and we have had some males that didn't do that, but we have had some that do. So just a a note of warning there with the male ducks. You know, we have plenty of chicken eggs. Like I told you in the beginning of this show, we have more eggs than we can eat, so I don't need duck eggs, and um, because we've had the issues with them tearing up the yard and you know, tearing up our chickens, we just don't really have a purpose for them right now. So right now on the homestead, I think we have about 25 hens and um, some of those are babies because as some of you know, we just got done doing a batch of incubated eggs and then we also had two broody hens that hatched some some babies. So we've got about 25 chickens all together and then we have one rooster. So um, I'm not sure if we're going to have any more roosters come out of the ones we just hatched. Most likely we will. And we have three sheep. All Katahdans, we have our Delilah, which is our milker. She's about two or three years old, and we got her from a big sheep farmer that had about 300 sheep in his flock. So, Delilah essentially was a wild sheep for the most part. You know, they ran in the flock and they weren't handled, they weren't touched. Um, So, we had to really, really work with her and tame her um, when we got her. And it was really hard to find the Katahdin breed around where we live in Virginia. I had to drive three hours to Maryland to get her. And I specifically got her because she is a hair sheep. So you can either get a hair sheep or you can get a wool sheep. Well, I don't plan on selling wool or making sweaters. So I don't want to have to deal with shearing a sheep. So I purposely got a hair sheep, um, which is a breed of sheep that does not have wool. So you don't have to do anything, you don't have to shear them. Um, They get a thick coat in the winter and then they shed it off in the spring and summer just like a dog would. Um, So they're a lot easier to keep for the homestead if you're not looking to do something with the wool. So right now we're currently trying to decide if we're going to keep Delilah. Um, Even though I have worked so hard with her and she's come so far, if you go on my YouTube channel and you watch my sheep milking video, Um, where I actually show you my morning routine where I milk her, we have come so far with her. She gets up in the stanchion. She lets me tie her leg back because I had to tie her leg back as well to train her to stand still to be milked. Um, And she even backs out of the milk stand when we're done. So she's really come a long way. But at the same time, you guys, she is still a spaz. She is still super sketchy. You can't just go up to her and pet her. Um, You can't brush her out. Um, just today when I went out to feed the animals she thought I was coming to her and I wasn't I was just walking around her and she freaked out and ran and trampled one of my broody hens and all three of her new baby chicks and for the life of me you guys I don't know how they're still alive I I just don't know because she's this heavy animal trampling these little birds and all of them are okay. But I just looked at her and I'm like, seriously? She will run and freak out and knock over bowls of food. Um, just She's just a spaz like that because she's not tame. She came from a huge herd of sheep. So I don't know if we're gonna keep Delilah. She's teaching the lambs bad habits and the lambs are very friendly and tame because we have touched them and handled them A lot since the day they were born so I might end up um, putting Delilah in the freezer and keeping the two lambs as my milkers since they're tame and trained and they know us I mean the lambs will come right up to us and you know love on us and put their little neat head on our knees and they're super sweet so a lot easier to handle so all we have as of right now is the sheep and the chickens and um, maybe a couple of pigs if I can talk Joe into it. I don't know. Fingers crossed. (laughs) But in our forever homestead, you guys, here in a couple years, um, I'm definitely going to have my chickens, probably going to have a little flock of sheep, and um, I do want to have a small herd of beef cattle to raise for meat, and then also I would like to have another dairy cow. So Um, some pigs maybe and maybe some rabbits something like that so as of right now um, even with what we have we don't buy meat from the grocery store i have a full stand-up freezer loaded with chicken i've got a full stand-up freezer loaded with beef Um, and then when we start raising pigs again we've got pork so i just love the self-sufficiency of it all you guys I was talking to my brother this morning about our passion to homestead and why we do what we do. And you guys, I went out last night and I harvested lettuce out of the greenhouse and I'm in the kitchen rinsing and cleaning probably close to 150 lettuce leaves. And as I'm cleaning it, I'm talking to myself because I talk to myself a lot, right? And I'm like, a lot of people would probably say, why do you do that? Why are you standing there for 30 minutes cleaning lettuce leaves when you could just go to the store and buy a packaged pack of spring lettuce well I really I I can't explain it to you in any other way than it's something that I did it's something that I accomplished I planted that seed and I nurtured it and I watched it grow and to the excitement of harvesting our first lettuce and making a big bountiful a big beautiful salad for my family and everything in the salad comes from the garden that I've worked with my hands. There's just something about that, you guys. I know how it was it was grown. It wasn't it truly is organic. It wasn't raised with any chemicals or pesticides. Anytime I have issues with bugs or anything, I make natural home remedies to spray on the plants. I don't use chemicals and I just, I love that. I love that feeling of giving my family something that I have put so much energy and work into. I think um, it's my love language, you know, acts of service. And so that's why I stand at the kitchen sink for hours and clean lettuce. And that's why I sit over that pot of, you know, warm milk making the perfect yogurt. And that's why I do all of this because I absolutely love it. And I won't lie, it gives me a really good feeling knowing that if crap hits the fan, I don't have to go to the grocery store to buy chicken. I don't have to go to the grocery store to to buy store-bought yeast to make my bread because I've got a sourdough starter in my kitchen. Um, So it just makes me feel a little bit better and a little bit more self-sufficient that we can do so much here with our own hands on our own homestead. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I just thought it would be fun to um, talk to you guys about some of the farm animals that we've had and some of the animals that we currently have and some of the animals that we hope to have at our Forever Homestead here pretty soon. So if you guys are considering homesteading, considering getting some animals um, I'm, I'm biased, so I'm going to tell you to do it. It truly is a satisfying way of life. Um, it's hard, but it's also simple, if that makes sense. Um, it, it's just very gratifying. I'm really happy that you guys joined me today. Um, we've done a few very serious talks here on the show so far with some things involving the culture and everything. So I thought that it would be nice just to chat about something that was a little bit lighter lighter spirited and a little bit more homesteady. And I hope you enjoyed it. I'm you know, new at podcasting as you can tell from the date of this recording and um, trying to think about what you guys might want to hear, what you like to hear, what you want to talk about. So do me a favor if you would. If you have a topic that you would like to um, chat about on the show, send me an email, would you? You can send me an email at tina at blessedandbeautifulhomestead.com and I will get that and then we can chat about it here on the podcast. All right, you guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me today and I will see you on the next show.